Hi there, listeners. Just a reminder, all co-hosts of the Arbitration Station appear on it in their personal capacities. So please do not attribute statements to or take legal advice from what is said on this informal podcast. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Arbitration Station. My name is Brian Kotick. I'm joined here with Sadia Bhatti. Hi, Sadia. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, just filing away, which is going to lead to a very interesting topic today. I had a filing this morning and I want to talk about something that was happening during that filing. But um, have you been in London? Have you been traveling around? Yeah, I've been traveling a bit too much for work, uh, and which I hope will stop until September now, <laughs> at least the traveling for work part. It's been a bit um, nuts, and I have to confess it's not very green, so I, I'm a bit embarrassed to say in the last less than 10 days it has been Istanbul, Paris, Vienna, and Portugal, and then Paris again, and then back to Cambridge now, finally, in London. <laughs> London. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I know, it's too much. It's too much. But for the good cause, it was all very interesting um, and everything, but a bit tiring, as you can hear from the voice. And I caught a cold, even though in every single country it was summer. But <laughs> <laughs> it's the all the air- changes in temperatures, I'm sure, with all that the is the air countries. conditioning. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's being tired and everything. But you also have uh, like your, your I know this is the cold you. station today where um, I'm also <laughs> fighting something. How's it having to do with lack of sleep? I know it's like we have to finally get into summer mode, I think, like which is you know, but we have a few exciting topics to discuss before we kind of take a break, right? Yes, exactly. You so you went to Vienna for was that the working group in Vienna? Yes. So in Vienna was working group three, um, which is the reform of ISDS for those who are not familiar. And in fact, in the last sessions, it was really good because oftentimes they talk and talk and talk and talk, as we all know, <laughs> which is interesting and very engaging and, and stimulating. But this time they finally adopted a few things. So they have adopted the uh, ancestral code of conducts for um, judges uh, and, and, uh, um, and arbitrators. So that was really something. Um, it's been in discussion for a couple of years. So that was really good. So I attended a few days of discussion on this. And then on the side of these discussions, there is what is called a side events, literally speaking. And there was a side event that was organized by the government of Pakistan. Um, and they kindly invited me because I was actually this time um, appearing as an observer uh, to represent the Pakistan Arbitration Center. Okay. And so they invited um they invited me not in my capacity as an observer, but as as an expert actually, um, on issues of quantum. Uh, and why? Well, because Pakistan, as I'm sure people are aware, has been um, has been at the receiving end of billions of dollars yes. of awards, <laughs> and a recent one was um, eight billion dollar was the Recodic case. And so they organized the side event along with uh, lawyers um, who represented Venezuela, represented from representatives from Nigeria. And some other lawyers to kind of discuss the issue of what is called crippling compensation, which is when you have damages that are awarded that are that have a crippling effect on the state's development and um, 
and population basically. So it's it's a question for another day. I think we're not going to get into yes. the substance today, but the billion dollar awards <laughs> is a discussion that um that is very um you know, apropos like we say in French and I yes. think we should talk about it um at a different different level today. So what we thought would be interesting was a recent development not about the record day case this time we're going to go a bit stay in 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 the asian region of the world and discuss about a mega billion dollar award against malaysia and this kind of uh you know every now and then there's something that happens in arbitration that your family who are not arbitration people to discuss about <laughs> and they're like what? yeah because it makes the other news the the global news basically and there was an article in le monde actually which is the french you know main newspaper about this this mega billion dollar award that i'm going to discuss later on perfect and then we'll slip into happy fun time to discuss something that happened to me recently which having to do the troubles with file sharing um <clears throat> we're entering into much larger and larger uh, documents and voluminous filings that happen um, and how parties and council can deal with that and kind of the tools that are available. Uh, we note that there are a few institutions and we'll talk about ICSID, the ICC and, and the SCC that have introduced platforms, um, online digital platforms that have facilitated these online filings and made it easier for council not only to file these large uh, documents, uh, but also to keep track of their cases, not only past, not only present cases, but also past cases. Um, and I'll also be talking about some of the um, local court, like the DIFC court also does um, similar digital platforms. Um, and I've noticed it being much uh, very beneficial for, for counsel. So we'll talk about kind of examples there and whether we find it positive or negative for the development of our industry. Amazing. Looking forward to that. Fantastic. So the month of June was pretty eventful for Malaysia. <laughs> to say, <laughs> to the, say least. the least. Yeah. To say the least. And not just in Malaysia, actually. In Paris, in the Netherlands, in Spain. Gosh, this is a case study of an international arbitration case. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it also is, I don't know, you tell me at the end of, of my present, I mean, of this discussion, if you think this is an exceptional case or if this is, this is, this, this is reflective of what's going on in arbitration, which was a question asked by my brother, actually, who is not at all an arbitration lawyer and read a piece in Le Monde about this mega billion dollar award against the state of Malaysia based on a, can I say an obscure arbitration agreement yeah, from yeah. an obscure agreement, which dates back to 1878. Okay. And this was so a 19th century contract, basically, um, which uh, was an agreement governing territory exploitation rights in the former Sultanate of Sulu on the island of Borneo. Okay. Sounds obscure. It, yeah. And so basically this procedure and this arbitration um, concerned eight Filipino claimants that say that they are the successors in interest to the last Sultan of Sulu 
who granted the European who granted European explorers exploitation rights in return for annual payments as part of that agreement, basically. Okay, mm-hmm. and the explorers' rights, are obviously, as you can imagine, passed to the Malaysian state upon its independence from the British Empire in 1963. But here's the thing, though: Malaysia continued to make annual payments under that agreement until 2013. And after it failed to renegotiate the contract price because it kept, I think, paying the same amount, the Hears launched an arbitration under the agreement and asked. Um, and before I say, well, actually, they asked the Superior Court of Justice in Madrid to appoint an arbitrator. And why did they do this? Because the arbitration agreement provided. That it will be settled. Uh, disputes would be heard by the former British Consul General of Borneo. Of course, it didn't say for. It was the British Consul General of Borneo, and at the time of the dispute, well, it no longer existed, <laughs> as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And so they went to um, the Madrid court. Um, so the Superior Court of Justice are in Madrid to appoint an arbitrator, arguing. So the contract had various connections to Spain. So the Madrid court appointed an arbitrator called Gonzalo Stempa. Uh, and this, um, so Stempa, initially chose Madrid as the seat of the arbitration, and um, and it upheld its jurisdiction to hear the case in 2020, and it issued a partial award. Okay. But later, the same Madrid court annulled his appointment, so Stampa's appointment,、mm-hmm. after it found that Malaysia had been improperly served at its embassy in Madrid, rather than its embassy in Kuala Lumpur. Okay, so after the Hears had the partial award recognized in Paris,、um, Stampa then, <laughs> and I don't know if this also is something that I've. Honestly, have not heard before. Moved the seat, so it moved the seat from Madrid to Paris. Right, and and it proceeded to issue the final award in February 2022. And the amount of the award was 14.9 billion dollars. <laughs> okay. So sole arbitrator, sole arbitrator. Oh、so, yes, sorry, I didn't mention sole arbitrator. Of course, sole arbitrator. Now,、uh, I mean, there's been various developments afterwards, but the le- the recent ones were. So first, I'm going to start with Paris. There was a judgment of the Paris Court of Appeal in on the sixth of June, I think, 2023, which set aside a lower court's ruling that actually granted ex parte recognition to a partial award issued by the arbitrator Gonzalo Stempa in 2023. In 2020, by which it had upheld jurisdiction,、mm-hmm. so it basically overturned the earlier ruling,、um, and it, it the Paris court uh, ruled um, uh, that the role of consul general, which we just discussed, is now defunct, and so as a result, the arbitration agreement was null and void, and therefore the partial award arising of, out of it should be denied recognition. Right. So this happened in Paris, and、uh, it agreed with the hears that all parties 
Um, it, it did agree, sorry, because that's also a point. It agreed with the hearers that all parties to the 78 agreement intended for a third party to adjudicate any disputes arising from the arbitration agreement between them or their successors. And the dispute settlement in provision in the contract was an arbitration agreement. So it said, yes, there was an arbitration agreement. However, toutefois, like they say in France, <laughs> the court said that it was clear from communication between the then British Consul General, who was called William Treacher, by the way, um, and a third party, that the choice of the Consul General was a decisive factor in the contracting party's agreement to arbitrate. And so it, no it noted that Treacher was known to the parties and had taken an active part in the negotiations and had personally encouraged the Sultan of Sulu to submit the disputes to the Consul General. General. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it ruled that the designation of the Consul General as arbitrator in the agreement was inseparable from the intention to arbitrate. And without that office, the arbitration clause became null and void. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened in Paris. Um, now, a few days, was it a few days later? I think so. The Hague Court of Appeal, also because there was some enforcement proceedings in the Netherlands. Now, you may ask, why was there enforcement proceedings in the Netherlands against Malaysia? Well, because, as you can imagine, there were some money <laughs> <laughs> of Malaysia in the Netherlands. I'm trying to... Oh, here it is. Because there were some assets from the Malaysian state oil company Petronas in the Netherlands. And in fact, there was enforcement proceedings in Luxembourg as well. Luxembourg as well. Mm -hmm. But in the Netherlands, the Hague Court of Appeal has also refused to enforce the billion-dollar award against Malaysia. Um, and it it rejected the application by the eight um, Filippo nationals to recognize and enforcement the award. Um, so what did it say? It found that the decision of the Superior Court of Justice in Madrid to annul Stampa's appointment in 2021 not only voided his appointment as arbitrator in the case, but also invalidated the award he issues is in, he issued in that capacity. Right. So um, it also held that the arbitration agreement was enforceable and it mentioned um, not the Paris Court of Decision, but it mentioned uh, um, the decision by the Paris Court to stay the enforcement in that jurisdiction while, the, while um, Malaysia was pursuing set-aside proceedings. Um, so that was interesting as well. So that's an interesting turn of events um, in Paris and in the Netherlands. On another note, um, the arbitrator is also facing criminal charges from the Spanish authorities over his role in hearing the disputes for pursuing basically an arbitration, even though, you know, the they Madrid decided court. that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, after this, there has been a lot of emotion in the arbitration world. And a few, um, I think 80 practitioners signed um, an open letter expressing concerns over the criminal proceedings. And, you know, so that was also an interesting development. Mm -hmm. Poor Stampa. I feel for him. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well... There was a lot of, uh, you know, he, he made a lot of unilateral decisions, let's say. But... Yeah, unilateral decision. Well, he was sole arbitrator, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So there you go. 
Yeah. Gosh, 1878 arbitration agreement, such an obscure arbitration agreement. I've, I haven't seen something like that before. And what I told my brother, and I don't know if you agree, is that this is not a usual stand of affairs in the world of arbitration. Could we agree to that? I think we not? can agree to that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the amount, the arbitration agreement, all of this. I, I mean, you know, the procedure. Um, this is this moving is really, the seat, as you mentioned. Moving the seat, yeah, moving the seat, and also what happened. So, if they considered that his appointment was null and void, I'm sorry, I haven't read in details all the papers, and I'm going to look into that. But how can you then justify? So he is the one who decided that the seat of arbitration would be Paris. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so, you know, why is it, you know, they're setting aside the arbitration in, in Paris? I mean, I, I just have to look at that again. I think what they did at the Paris Court of uh, Paris Court of Appeal was set aside a lower court's ruling that the grant, oh, they granted ex parte recognition to a partial award. Okay, I see. Mm -hmm. So it was recognition and enforcement. But, you know, I, then I, I suppose there's also still this question pending us. Then the arbitration was completely null and void from the beginning, right? Right. So anyways, it's really interesting. Let's see what happens. Um, I have heard from the reports that they, of course, um, the HEARS are planning to um, appeal this decision of the Paris Court of Appeal. I mean, you can't call it an appeal. It's a cassation before mm -hmm. the Paris Court of uh, le, le, la Cour de Cassation. And apparently they have engaged uh, GBS lawyers from um, the, the Gaillard boutique. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Let's see. What Do you think that, I mean, to go back to your initial comment in the introduction, that the amount of the award had some kind of the, the fundamental basis for why this has attracted so much attention on the intricacies and idiosyncrasies of how the award was rendered? Um, or do you think that the attention is on the uh, autonomy of the arbitrator, the sole arbitrator, after receiving his appointment and taking decisions in order to render the award? Or do you think it's all of the above? I think it's all of the above. I mean, I think because of the amount, it, it you know, it, it obviously what had happened, I think it's because it was in the... Um, in the French news was because mm -hmm. I think the Malaysian government was had meetings with the French government <laughs> mm -hmm. to discuss this on a political level um, because of the amount. And they were saying, you know, how ridiculous this is and um, and all of this. And and um, and and then as a result, when you kind of scratch, you know, what has happened, um, yeah. then you see how a you know, unique the procedure was, I suppose, in a way, and how, um, you know, there's a series of events <laughs> that have happened here yeah. that would have not happened, I think, in a regular arbitration. So it's all of the above that makes this this uh, case very, it's it's fascinating, though. It is. Uh, Absolutely. And the criminal charges from the, um, yeah. <clears throat> from the Spanish court, I presume that had to be in the contempt of a court order. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, and, and it was jail time as well, wasn't yeah, it? There was, yeah, there was, yeah, exactly. I mean, there was, there were criminal charges. Mm. I mean, of course, when you're contempt of court, yeah, it becomes criminal. So that has, uh, that was really, you know, something. Um, 
And sorry, there was also another thing in this is that Malaysia has been reported to have put a lot of pressure on um yeah there was some yeah exactly so the lawyers of the hears hears there's a press report from Elizabeth Mason of 45 Grays in Square who acted go counsel to the claimants has accused the state of and I cite thumbing its nose at the international system of justice and conducting a campaign of harassment including by threatening criminal charges against the claimants their lawyers and stempa so it's not just the spanish court is also the malaysian state itself has apparently taken you know has threatened uh mm. criminal charges against the claimants um the arbitrator and the lawyers Phew. yeah yeah i mean that i have to confess is probably not as unusual <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> happen in every single case but we've seen this happen well, before, yeah we've right? seen the campaigns definitely yeah so these is like typical guerrilla i suppose tactic um mm -mm. but yeah, yeah we've seen it uh in some eastern european states as well because i mean this is the thing with investment arbitration is that you're dealing with a live case um uh, although it's a in this case in the 1870s your or a treaty in the 1870s agreement in the 1870s you do have kind of a, a live government handling these issues um yes. so that's yeah. and and then as you say there's some di diplomacy involved and i i wonder if there was some pressure on the french government to say on, on even on a public policy basis that yeah yeah um you can't uh allow this to continue when you have an arbitrator who in arguably is kind of taking matters into their own hands after receiving a definitive court order saying this should not Uh, be going forward especially when the arbitration agreement expressly said that you know the dispute must be settled by almost a name member you know like a consul mm -hmm. said the consul uh mm -hmm. general the british consul general i mean you know how do you explain that it ends up being a spanish arbitrator i mean you know this right. is really interesting right right also, you know to the public eye and also to legal arbitration practitioners like how does that work mm. Maybe I should also mention that the Spanish Arbitration Club said in a statement that the criminal charges, and I quote, in no way affects the condition of Spain as a safe seat of international arbitration. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so here, here, there you go. You've got um, um, a 1878 arbitration agreement which concerned the rights of the former Sultanate of Sulu in the island of Borneo mm -hmm. that affects the state of Malaysia, Spanish arbitration, the future of Spain as an arbitration seat, maybe. Right. <laughs> uh, Paris courts um, and uh, recently the Dutch ones and possibly in Luxembourg as well because there's some um, pr proceedings in Luxembourg. So lawyers are at work. On this case is still ongoing wow. so we will follow this with close attention i mean it sounds like a netflix series <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely yeah um just... I, i did you read the petition at all between the um from the 80 practitioners no i mean i don't have it on there yeah right. sorry did you <clears throat> no? no 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 but i i i gleaned from it that it was kind of um not protectionist uh, is probably too strong of a word, but just to say that, um, you know, the 
that they were basically trying to safeguard the not immunity, but just like the ability of the arbitrator to act and to declare that they have jurisdiction and um, mm -hmm. and that there was a basis for for continuing the way that it did. But obviously, the amount in dispute and and all of the all of the other elements of the arbitration called into question. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're basis. they're questioning actually the fact that a contempt of court order was in effect made or not. Mm -hmm. You know, they're actually saying that no such, you know, order was made. So, right. Um, so I, I, I'd be, I'd be really interested to read the papers because when you read it at first, you think this is a ludicrous development, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then both sides have acted in in a bizarre manner i would say so it's not like i'm Absolutely. of course advocating for one position or any other but it sounds um interesting to me so yes. let's keep an eye on this <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well yeah that was a good introduction and, and discussions to be had but we'll have to monitor what happens because it's still it's still live. ongoing yes still live <clears throat> very good all right so Let's talk about, let's go in and have a drink now and talk about something lighter. All right, sounds good. <laughs> so when we started our new firm, one thing that we had to meet quite quickly was the issue of how are we going to share all of these files and take care of all the files that we receive from our clients and also need to share with our clients and also the other side when we do filings. And so we had to really engage with um, some proprietary platforms on how we were going to solve this issue on the technology side of, uh, of file sharing. And I know working at a bigger firm, you typically have some sort of internal file sharing platform. I presume you have one at Jeed, Sadia? Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, and I know that some smaller firms or firms that don't want to pay for that type of platform, you can use such things as Box or Dropbox or uh, even WeTransfer, I see being used in formal proceedings. Um, obviously, there's an issue of uh, safety and confidentiality and um, the the uh, secrecy of this file sharing and make sure that it's not tampered by any third party or malware. Mm -hmm. um, but what led me to kind of think of this matter even further was the fact that I was doing, I had a, a lecture about the SEC to a university in Mexico. And one of the um, aspects of the SEC I was asked to talk about was about the SEC platform, which was introduced. It's been live for a few years now, and I'm sure a lot of parties and a lot of our listeners in the Nordic countries have already used it. Um, I personally have not used the SEC platform, but I've used the ICC platform for filings. Um, and what we see with the, um, it's called the, the, the SEC one, for example, is called uh, the SEC platform. And mm -hmm. it has a calendar for relevant, relevant dates and deadlines, the ability to set reminders, a notice board, which the arbitral tribunal can use to provide practical information to the parties, archiving facilities where the procedural material can be stored once the arbitration has been concluded. Um, communication can happen 24 hours a day. The platform is secure. Um, and there's several security guidelines, um, and you basically can contact your case administrator about the case uh, via this platform, and you can also upload material that can be accessible on your computer, mobile, tablet, uh, no matter where you are in the world. Um, the It's also a cloud-based cloud -based technology, so you can log in anywhere. You don't have to um, you know, be signed into your 
your firm's uh, file sharing platform in order to send them. Uh, so it became kind of a useful tool for filing. And I know um, in the DIFC courts, which is something our firm has been um, doing a few cases recently, that they too have their own file sharing platform. And I found it to be quite an amazing tool that I'm surprised it's taken so long for us to uh, do, you know, keep up with in the arbitration uh, sphere. Um, so the ICC has done this, and I'm wondering if this is going to be a new trend. So in October 22, um, ICC launched the ICC Case Connect, uh, mm -hmm. which is what they call a digital case management platform to connect party tribunals in the ICC Secretariat to streamline communication for file sharing um, and basically effective teams management. And I think in both the ICC platform and the SEC platform, you're able to access past cases as well. So it's all very you know well organized. It kind of helps with your knowledge bank, um, although it's on their proprietary platform, it is this kind of a knowledge bank that you can have immediate access to, mm -hmm. um, both for you who's worked on the case, but anyone else who's worked on the case before, if you want to pull up any precedent uh, of, of things that you've used in previous cases or with previous tribunal members that you may have in a new case. Um, so I, I have you used any such file sharing platform in any of your cases? I know that, that, yeah, I know that our firm uses those as well. Um, um, but me personally, I have used uh, the file sharing, I think that is on Exit that we have used. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have to confess, like I was telling to you offline, the more senior you get in this, the, the often you delegate this function to your associates <laughs> to <Right>. deal with <laughs> that. <laughs> the file sharing functions, but I think I, I think it's it's very important that we have those. I mean, uh, um, like you say, the secure shares is there's a limit to it. It doesn't seem to work very well, does it? Now, I, the only concern I have is with uh, arbitrators from a certain category of uh, mm -hmm. I say age. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's put it on the age. <laughs> Or it's not the age; it's like a more less, more or less experience with platforms and you know level of expertise with the IT. Let's say right. are comfortable or not using these platforms. I mean, do you think they're friendly enough? Or you're you're right. I think I think they are friendly enough. I think they're nav navigable, if that's mm -hmm. the word. Um, you can, but again, it's another password and login that you're going to have to memorize in order to get into these platforms. But yeah, I think yeah. I think if you think about you know typical filings, you kind of file your main head submission documents. So mm -hmm. you you file your statement of claim or whatever, and and the and a tribunal member of that age is not going to be rifling through. Um, your 100 exhibits um, yeah, on the date true. of filing. And so what it does is it kind of amalgamates everything into uh, into one platform so that it's easily accessible should they wish to access it. And also noting that you're not probably going to have need ac immediate access to this large set of files um, for in, in the in the short That's term true. and that you could kind of keep it for later on instead of rifling through old emails of when did we file this? And I, I remember that being, you know, this, and I'm now talking about 10 years ago when everything was happening in email attachments and you would be getting five, six, seven consecutive emails on the date of filing because due to yes. file size, we're going to have to split yeah. up filing yeah. into, into so many. That. 
Yeah, and it's yeah. such an old, you know, an old school way of of filing, and the fact that people are going to have to keep track of this and procedural orders, whether they come in email or not, um, these need to be centralized, um, just for an effective case management. So, um, even if the tribunal member isn't technologically advanced enough to be able to yeah. access this immediately, at least before a hearing, you can kind of guide them yeah, to make yeah, sure yeah. that this is. This is happening. And you also can deal with, which has happened in my situation, with such large file sharing. You have computer crashes and um, and these types of hardware issues that happen when you're dealing with such large documents um, in a short period of time. So having it be cloud-based, you kind of safeguard any issues that should your computer completely crash, you can log in anywhere from a new computer and um, access the, the cloud system. Yeah, so I that's think true. there are some safeguards there. Um, yeah, 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 I like how you said the old school way of filing and referring to you know sending documents by piecemeal. The old school that? way. Well, the old school way of filing that I remember is putting stuff in boxes, my friend. Oh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Spending my time page turning. Right. Um, you know, and making sure everything was in the box and, you know, having enough copies for everyone and sending them through DHL. Gosh. Yeah, you're right. Because no one used to send exhibits on the electronic filings and exhibits would come in hard copy afterwards. Yeah, exactly. And that happened until recently. I mean, yeah. even today, I think some people do it. Yeah. Some people prefer it. But one other question for you, though. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that make things more vulnerable in terms of cybersecurity and hacking and all of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially these public domains on how you're able to transfer files. Um, for example, you know, WeTransfer is just a website that you go on and you can transfer three gigabytes of data for mm -hmm. free. Um, mm -hmm. And if you um, don't have your own software or one of these portals online from the institutions, then you're basically sending you know, large amounts of files on separate, you know, 10, 15 separate links in order to break up the file size. But it does, it does. And I think in procedural orders and, you know, these, um, the tribunal needs to be wary of that and either include it in a PO or at least establish some sort of common idea on how these files are going to be shared throughout the arbitration. Um, yeah. Because these... These proprietary systems are expensive, so you mm -hmm. you want to have it kind of an equality of arms between the parties on how these things are going to be done, mm -hmm. um, and if they have the ability to do it, and if not, what the cost would be to the parties. Yeah, because I remember, I think it was, I mean, it wasn't one of those sharing systems that you mentioned, but it was the website, I think it was the PCA website that got mm -hmm. hacked. I think it was almost 10 years ago, like in 2015 or so, if I'm not mistaken. I remember that, and I think other institutions as well. That's really scary. Like, yes. Because um, beforehand, Ixit was using Box, I remember, that yes. file sharing platform, which is, you know, I, I don't know the security levels of that, but I mean, anyone can use Box. And yeah, so it, it, it is, there, there is no guarantee on that. So especially politically sensitive data, I mean, you're yes, dealing with. Exactly. And we are, and they're all politically sensitive. Exactly. <laughs> the instant that it concerns billion dollar of awards that we just discussed against states, you can imagine how sensitive things are. Absolutely. Um, it's yeah. not just a commercial arbitration dealing with, you know, someone's a, a private, closely yeah. held company's finances. Mm -mm -mm. We're talking about like internal government documents. Yeah. I mean, you could imagine that it wouldn't cost a lot of money if you bring back 
you know, that to the amount in dispute, if it's billions of dollars to pay someone to hack <laughs> or yes. to listen to conversations or something, you know. Yeah, very um, good point. So we have to be super, super careful with our conversations in those. We don't usually think about those things, do we? I mean, we have our internal, of course, cybersecurity and all these right. You know, security, confidentiality, um, and within law firms that we mm -hmm. operate. Um, but I, and, I, and maybe that's a mistake of mine. But I, I, I wanted to ask you what your views are. I tend to treat kind of every case I'm on in a similar manner. I mean, it's confidential, and that's it. You know, mm -hmm. but I never, I'm never like thinking, oh my gosh, this is like a billion dollar award and this concerns mm -hmm. this. I have to be extra, extra, extra careful. I'm careful with all the cases, but maybe I should be and be a little paranoid about <laughs> every single thing I'm working on. Well, yeah, I mean, you do have your general safeguards at your firm. And I, mm -hmm. I think a, a firm of your size would have kind of the best in the business. But um, and and if it is particularly sensitive when we had the Fall case the encryption levels that we had to do mm, yeah that's true. not only for usb you know sending usbs and encrypting those usbs but also just every email um had to be encrypted so it, it does take a buy-in and a general understanding between the parties so i think if I, I think you should be worried if both parties are worried and there's a general yeah. interest to, to keep that encryption there yeah, actually, um, I I just realized while you were saying this, I just remember we do have a client that forces us to use another a, a separate actually way of communication, even emails, just even just regular communications. Yeah, even text messages. Yeah. I don't know if you've I, we're now spinning off into other things, but it is file yes. sharing in a sense. But <laughs> um, Signal and some of these other um, chat apps. Have you, have you used those? I haven't. Yes, I have oh, really? on one. It, it it was kind of a it was a white paper that we were helping a client with um so it wasn't necessarily a dispute per se but it was very sensitive um mm -hmm, also mm -hmm. because the release of the white paper needed to be done kind of covertly yes. until it was actually published i see um so all communication had to be done over that over that app which is highly annoying because the messages erase and it's hard to keep track of what's been discussed but yeah 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 the wow. clients, the client, it, it is up to the clients and obviously something you can offer to clients as a service, but it's up to them to kind of set the expectations on, on how they want their communications held. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, at least, you know, there's progress. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, maybe another topic should be kind of encryption and kind of the yeah. possibilities on how to deal with that, because it is cumbersome. I have to say it really impedes progress. Uh, when you're trying to focus on encrypting everything and making sure it's safe. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. I just had, you know, you think about that. You have a hearing and you put your USP key in it and then it's like, what's the password? What's this and that? And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I know. <laughs> <You> just... <laughs> and, and then you put a post-it on the USB to remember yeah, it. Yeah. And that's like that, the, that was the, point the worst of that, thing right? you can do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, it's yeah. and then I, I have so many USBs that are encrypted and I can't even use them because it's uh, I, I don't even know what yeah, the you, are. I know. Well, being safe better be safe than sorry. But, yeah, that's right. But it's good. Welcome development of the platforms, I guess, is the concluding remark here. Absolutely. And I think we're yeah. going to see it in, more, in most institutions now. I think this is going to be a, a basis, a, a fundamental element mm -hmm. that institutions should offer um, yeah. because it yeah. allows everyone kind of access, equal access to the, to the documents and to be able yes. to share the documents as easy as possible. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Perfect.
All right. Well, uh, that's it for us today. Thank you, Sadia. Thank you, Jan. Uh, well, hopefully we'll meet Joel in our next episode. Yes, <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks and chat later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.